0: You're listening to the Redemption Church podcast with Pastor Daniel Williams as we go through a series called God Redeems, a study through the book of Exodus. So, without further ado, um, I'm going to introduce you to Esteban. Uh, Just an incredible man of God, loves the Lord, has a beautiful family in Madrid, Spain. Um, Humble, just asking the Lord, Lord, do, I'm willing, do what you want with me in this place. And so I love this brother. He's an amazing brother. And I'm sure you're going to be blessed tonight as he comes forward and shares with you guys. Esteban, let me pray for you. you. Lord Jesus, Lord, we know that you've given Esteban a word for us, Lord. And we just thank you, Lord, for your spirit upon him, Lord. We thank you that you continue to use him and work in his life in Madrid, Spain. And we just pray, Lord, that you would just bless his family, Lord, that you would provide for them, Mm -hmm. Lord, in every way, Lord, not just financially, Lord, but also in friendships, in uh, just everything that they need, Lord, and that you would just continue, Lord, to grow that church there, Lord, as you've shown so many people that you want to do through this family, Lord. So we just thank you, Jesus. We praise you. We pray, Lord, that you would use him tonight to bless this body of believers, Lord, that we may know you better and grow closer to you, Jesus. In your holy name we pray.
1: Amen. 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 Thank you, brother. Thank you so much. It's absolutely a pleasure to be here. Um, you know, Pastor Daniel, uh, Pastor Robin, and Redemption Church, you guys have just been a blessing uh, To us, just friendship and fellowship and support mean a lot to us, and you know that. Really quick about us, so we're in the city of Madrid, and we've been there for about eight years, and God gave us the vision of planting a church in the city that would plant other churches. So we've been planting the church there uh, for about five years. We celebrated five years by the grace of God uh, last year. Um, You can pray for us, uh, pray for just an open door for the gospel and for him to just give us wisdom as we pastor this church and see what he'll do in the future, uh, planting other churches, fulfilling that vision that he's given us. So um, I'm believing that and we'll see how the Lord does it. So that's kind of a, a little nutshell of what we do, but yeah, thank you guys for being a part of our lives. So I, I've titled this message, A Case Study in Unbelief and Faith. And I know you guys have heard this story before. I know you guys have heard the content. This may sound like something you find in a medical journal or uh, some monthly lawyer's magazine, this, this title. But this is such a, a very, very familiar uh, story, I believe, with, um, with most people, with, with adults and children, children alike. Um, these chapters in Exodus are a narrative of unprecedented times. The Lord is doing something really special as he's laying the foundation for Israel. Israel has gone through a time of incubation in Egypt, right? Uh, God hears their cries. He says, it's time, time to rescue my people and take them uh, out, of the, out of that land and, and take them to the promised land. And so the Lord is laying, setting the stage for who? He's setting the stage for Messiah through these very unprecedented uh, times that we're reading in this book. And I know you guys are studying this book. Hopefully I can give you um, just a different kind of perspective within this chapter and how it applies to us. Uh, But you know the story, right? The plagues, Pharaoh's hard heart, the Passover, this picture of Jesus, right? This prefiguration of of what was to come. Uh, They exit from Egypt and then what happens? They cross the Red Sea, right? Just amazing moments in the history of Israel. And now they find themselves where? In the wilderness. Good times. You ever seen a, a, a mom, like, kind of with her, with her kid in, in, the, in the grocery store or, the, or the, um, like, a, like, a department store? You know that kid is just angry, and they're, like, ready to erupt. And by the, you know, the next moment you look over there, the, the, she's dragging the kid, and he's, like, just melting down. You guys ever seen that, like, out in public? It's probably happened to you. I know it's happened to us with three kids. But what, what we see here is that Israel is literally a hot mess, like, like that kid just blowing up and acting, you know, just completely, um, yeah, just needing some discipline and a nap, right? <laughs> this chapter is going to show us Israel's true condition. This is something that maybe I took for granted or I think didn't quite see as clearly as I see it now. And, and they're gonna see, we're going to see the shape and condition of their hearts and really, they're, they're a hot mess, Israel, God's people. That's what that's what's happening, like happening here. They're like a bratty kid. It's really bad. And I would like for us to look beyond the surface of their attitudes and hopefully see the bigger problem, the, the deep heart issues that the people have. We're going to see God's unending faithfulness to his people, right, displayed in, in ways that people could not even have imagined. They could not have Imagine in their own human minds how God would provide for them and how he does it, right? Ultimately, I hope for us to have some moments of clarity and honesty. Like, I know humility is a challenge for everybody, and I know nobody likes to admit when they're wrong, especially when they're arguing with their spouse or, you know, somebody close to you, right? But look, I just hope that we can be honest with ourselves today and just to look in the mirror and see where this might apply to you, okay? Okay. I hope it becomes clear. I'm going to go through the whole chapter. It's a bit uh, ambitious, but God help us. Um, But I I I want us to have that honesty and to see these moments with clarity, to see these tendencies in Israel are present within us. I hope we take an honest look at our lives and see where these things actually manifest themselves, complaining, doubting, questioning God. Have you questioned God? Absolutely, right? You want to return to the old life like they did. You accuse God. God, you brought me out of that life for this? Really? And then the, 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 big, the big focus, I believe here, is unbelief. And so I hope that you guys can, um, can I hope that I can clearly communicate what that means for us. So let's start in uh, Exodus 16, chapter, uh, verse 1. And they journeyed from Elim, and all the congregation of the children of Israel came to the wilderness of sin, which is between Elim and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they departed from the land of Egypt. Then the whole congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. So it's been less than two months since they left Egypt, since God miraculously took them out of that land. Exodus 38 tells us that there was about 600,000 Israeli men That's not counting women and children. Some scholars estimate a population of around 2.4 million Israelis out in the wilderness. That's a lot of people, right? Let me tell you, I'm absolutely shocked to read that these people are complaining. God's people, complaining, really? Right. After walking with the Lord for 22 years, I'm about as shocked as if I saw a teenager rolling their eyes, you know? I think when we read these stories, Maybe I'll give you my example. You know, as a new believer, you take for granted the many things that, that, that are happening here. I think that that's what happened in my life. I think that I assumed God's people were close to him and would follow him anywhere, right? Especially after they saw what they saw. Yet here they are. God's done miracles in their midst. The plagues, including the Passover, he kept them safe. Part of the Red Sea, we might assume that their attitude might be like, yes, God, Let's go wherever you want us to go, we're there with you. No questions, no doubting, right? I mean, after what they saw, we would kind of assume that. However, in the pages of scripture, we find something very different. They're free from the house of bondage, and yet something holds them. Something holds them as slaves still. They're experiencing things that they've never experienced at the current moment. And, um, it's safe to say they're feeling a little uncomfortable. Secular history and archaeology, um, Oh, excuse me. <clears throat> Secular history and archaeology show us that even low-class people in Egypt lived in, 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 in structures like houses at one time. One Egyptian village was dug up and showed houses in rows. Each house had three rooms and stairs to go up to the roof. So while each pharaoh throughout the the dynasties of Egypt handled their labor force uh, differently, and although each generation of workers could have experienced both fair and cruel treatment from the pharaohs, there was some measure of order in the land of Egypt, right? They were a society, There was order in the land of Egypt. There was an infrastructure and governing bodies that contributed positively to life in Egypt. Get what I'm saying, right? A food chain supply, water readily available, places to prepare food, laws of the land. In reality, the the, the Israelites were probably going through shock, the shock of their lives at this moment. Have you ever been far away from home? Maybe you're tired, you're sick, you're sad. And all you can think about is, I just want to be home. I want to be with my family. I want to be in my bed. That's all I can think about, right? I think that's the way they were feeling. They were just longing for something familiar. They were freaking out. They wanted to find that that comforting place. And so God's people are having a bit of a rough time. They're having a rough go at it. So let's continue reading, verse 3. And the children of Israel said to them, Oh, that we would have died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. When we sat by the pots of meat and when we ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out in the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. If you were a parent helping your child from a difficult situation and you just poured your sweat, your blood and your tears to help them out of a situation. And then they say, yeah, thanks for nothing. You know, what are you trying to do to me? You it would hurt you, right? If, if your kid reacted like this when you were loving them and, and just doing things for them. There's any uh, teenagers that have acted that way to their, their parents? Say, I'm sorry. Ask them for forgiveness. Um, these aren't just complaints, right? They're not complaints. They're, they're, they're not that simple. They're not complaining about bad weather or about, oh, my feet hurt. We've just been walking so long. Let's take a break. No, these are extreme, extreme statements. So there's three things we see in God's people that I want to just take a quick look at. First is they've lost hope. You ever felt that way? You've just lost hope. Second, they're so attached to the flesh and to what filled them. You look at what they're saying in just a short set of two verses or one verse. Unbelievable. Third, they accuse God and his chosen leaders of planning the worst for them. You planned the worst for me. You didn't have any good intentions for me. You wanted the worst. So let's cover these points, but going backwards. Let's look at them accusing God. I know I don't want to make excuses for their attitude and behavior. I just want to have a clear picture of their spiritual and emotional state. First, they've never really had to trust God and walk by faith. You get that? They were in Egypt they had a lot of the physical things that they needed, which they already talked about. They already said that, right, when they responded to Moses and Aaron. They've, they've gone from living in a city with structure and order to a permanent outdoor living situation. Anybody here love camping? All right, we got one. So any, how, many, how many hate camping? All right. So imagine yourself here. You, you love the city. And now you're permanently in the wilderness. you got a tent. you got to carry all of your stuff. Puts it into perspective, no? They're intense. On a scale of 1 to 10, how much faith do you think they need at this moment? On a scale of 1 to 10. An 11 teen, huh? As much as they can get. 10. They need to trust God more than ever, and they really have never had to. They were slaves in Egypt. That's true. Yet one thing they've had is an abundance of physical provision in their lives. What are they they reminiscing about? Oh, those pots of meat. Remember when we were in Egypt, those pots of meat, we ate bread to the full. So I think it's safe to say they've known and trusted God very little. They didn't have a Bible, right? Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. This is the second one. So all they had was stories, right? This verbal passing down from family to family. There were no commandments and no tabernacle at this point. What are some benefits that we have that they didn't? Well, we have the Holy Spirit within us, right? The Bible says says that when we believe that the Holy Spirit fills us, that's a game changer. We have the written word of God. You are blessed to have the written word of God in your hand. And when we find ourselves in the wilderness like, Israel, like the Israelites did, our survival will depend on knowing God and walking by faith. And that comes through reading the word, finding hope and sustenance in his word. So Christian, where is it that we dive deeper into God and knowing him more? In the good days when the sun is shining? No, right? Or it's in the wilderness the experience of knowing God in a deeper way is most learned in the wilderness. But we can have a good preparation by sowing the things of God in our lives today. Be a disciple. Go to Bible study. Read that word, that, that, that living word. Have your own relationship with the word of God. Invest it into your own life today and into, into the lives of your family. And it will, it's going to prepare you for tomorrow, for the faith you're going to need. So Israel is not prepared to walk by faith. I would go as far as to say they know God very little and they accuse God and his chosen leaders of being so cruel and uncaring. You brought us out here to die, not just the men, but the women and the children also. The purpose, it was the purpose, I mean, just the harshest accusation, right? Their accusation and criticism against God and Moses reveal their hearts. They believe the narrative in their minds. How many of you guys have just believed, you make that story, you write, you're writing your own story in your mind you begin to believe it, and it's like, you're sure it's going to happen. How many things have you dreaded in your, in your mind that have never happened? So they're believing that narrative that they're, they're, that they're spinning in their own minds and their own hearts, right? They don't believe God is with them or for them, sees them, and will take care of them. Their unbelief, listen when I say this, their unbelief is shining bright in this moment. They actually refuse to trust and believe the Lord. They're refusing refusing and this is the way it manifests itself accusing God and saying the worst things second point they attached their attachment to, is to the flesh and what fills them what fills their flesh how long can you last without food I mean scientifically anybody know is there a number you can last a while right you can last a few weeks I think or maybe even a couple months weeks probably weeks how, how long can you last without water? Yeah, three days tops, right? You need water. So they have a little anxiety. They're in the wilderness. They're a little frustrated, and they have fear. And it's kind of understandable, right? Because you need those things. You've got babies, and you've got a wife. You know, there's some essentials. There's women and children. Any man who loves his family would be very concerned about the situation, so not only do they refuse to trust God and walk by faith, but they long to satisfy their flesh. Pots of meat and as much bread as you could eat. Remember that? And not just that, they long for that constancy and abundance, the abundance of it, right? It was not just that we had it, but that we had it in more than enough. And what, what does that do for you when you have more than enough? When you got some money stacked up in the bank, you got, you know, some investments, you got the, the, the pantry full of food, and, and it just makes you feel comfortable, right? It makes you feel safe, yeah? Everybody likes to feel comfortable and safe. That's what they were looking for. It gave them a sense of security to have that, a sense of control probably as well, walking by sight, what they could stack up, what they could literally put their hands on, what they knew they could count on. They were slaves, but at least they were fed. Fear can be very, very persuasive, right? When, you th- when, when that thing that gives you that sense of security is threatened, it's that thing that you see and you touch, that job, the money. When these things are on the chopping block, fear and anxiety shoot up to the maximum level, right? Hunger and fear working together can easily convince anyone that God's not going to come through. Listen, family, when our hope is in the things that we see, and let me tell you, this is the case for a lot of believers, a lot of Christians, and in many ways for me as well. When when our hope is in the things that we can see, when our security is tethered to the things of this world and not to God, and we have little grounding in his word, Fear and anxiety won't just be present in our lives. They'll come like a rushing flood. And it won't leave. Look at earthly attachments. And this is something that you just, you, you hear it in the word of God. And you have, to, you have to watch yourself. You have to almost catch yourself doing it. Trusting in that thing. You know, you have to dig, dig deep, observe yourself doing it, and then see, wow, why am I constantly like this? Earthly attachments Fear and anxiety about physical things always work as elements of anti-faith. Anti-faith. And attachments to the things of the flesh and the physical things of this life will weigh you down when God desires for you to soar on eagles', on eagle's wings with faith. You understand? That's what the living God was always telling Israel. In, in, in Isaiah, he's like, look, I'm right here. I'm right here. You have everything, but you more than anything, you have me. And they refuse to trust him. They choose their own way. They sin. We always kind of think of it as sin and rebellion. But look, they just have unbelief. No, I don't want your way. I want my way. I don't believe you're going to take care of me. This addiction to the things of the flesh caused them to easily accuse God and to always keep their hearts and minds where? In Egypt, where we had more. First, the last point is that they had lost hope. It didn't take long. They, hadn't, they, they haven't only lost hope. Their perspective is so distorted that it leaves them in a sad, sad state. Who was it that died in the hand by the hand of the Lord in Egypt? It's the Egyptians, right? God did so many amazing things in Egypt, and each time He protected His people. He protected them. He covered them. He had their back. They were under his protection. This should have convinced them. This should have done something in their hearts. This was the first practical lesson that taught them that God would care for them. Look, look what I'm doing. You see all these radical, crazy plagues and all these people dying and the river turning, the Nile turning to blood, all the water turning to blood, everything. And yet I've protected you. It should have shown them that he was trustworthy. But the heart is the heart, and it's stubborn, and, it, and it, 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 its tendency is always towards unbelief because it wants to feel secure and control what it can see. They're so emotionally distraught that they wish they had died like the unbelievers in Egypt. It's as though they wish they didn't even know God at all. It's as though they desired to live in ignorance The ignorance of God, like pagan Egypt. From their perspective, it was all out of control and it was going to end in their intentional deaths. They couldn't even dream that just around the corner they would see God's provision and even more miraculous things from the hand of their God. Verse four, then the Lord said to Moses, behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a certain quota every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. And it shall be on the sixth day that they shall prepare what they bring in, and it shall be twice as much as they gather daily. So if you've read this, or if you've you've known this story, you've probably heard this, right? I will rain bread down from heaven for you. Israel voiced their terrible complaints. They had no faith or hope. And as a result, that perspective and fruitfulness that comes with knowing God and having faith, it was elusive for them. But God is responding. I'm going to take care of you. Lessons in the wilderness have the potential to be the most beneficial when you're a child of God. We can be certain that God always had a plan to take care of his people's needs. It was coming. It was coming. When do we want it? We want it now or yesterday or last week. God, I've been waiting for an answer. It was coming. They just couldn't see it yet. They couldn't see it. This is the first real lesson for them in the wilderness. The Lord tells them they are only going to gather so much daily, and on the sixth day, they'll gather double. What do you think, Redemption Church? after they've shown just how attached they are to the things of the flesh, do you think they're going to listen? No. Let's read on. Verse 6. Then Moses and Aaron said to all the children of Israel, at evening you shall know that the Lord has brought you out of the land of Egypt. He repeats this over and over. Throughout all the Old Testament, God is always pointing back to this moment and these moments in time. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, for he hears your complaints against the Lord but what are we that you complain against us? Also Moses said, This shall be seen when the Lord gives you meat to eat in the evening and in the morning bread to the full. For the Lord hears your complaints which you take against him. And what are we? Your complaints are not against us, but against the Lord. Moses, the servant of the Lord, right? If you've, if you've paid attention to what, he's, what, what his job is from the beginning of this story, what is he doing? He's, he's just hearing from God. He has that connection with God, and then he just goes and does it, and then he just gets some more information from God, and he just goes and does it. He's being a, a servant, and he's listening, and he's just being obedient. I mean, if we generalize it, it's, it's that simple. What's he doing? He's, he's there to lead people and communicate God's word to these people, to draw people toward the Lord and to meditate on his faithfulness, God was going to do another amazing miracle in their midst as he had heard their cry and their desires. But Moses says, before that comes, you are to know. Look, remember that the Lord has brought you out of the land of Egypt. Do not forget that. The Lord desires for them to consider and meditate upon the fact that he brought them out of this land. These events clearly showed God would take care of them in the future. He didn't just want their bellies full. He wanted their hearts to be filled with faith and trust in him as a a result of relationship. You know me. This is what I've done for you. I love you. I've taken care of you. Leaders are always the first who get hit by the stones that people throw, right? The complaints that people make, the criticisms always impacts the leader God puts into place. It's just the way things go. But it's God's plan in operation, right? If you believe that, it's his thing. If the leaders are trusting the Lord and doing a faithful job, the people don't really have a complaint against them. They have a complaint against God. That's what Moses is saying here. Let's continue. Then Moses spoke to Aaron, say to all the congregation of the children of Israel, come near before the Lord, for he has heard your complaints. Now it came to pass, as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the children of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud." And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, I've heard the complaints of the children of Israel speak to them saying, at twilight you shall eat meat and in the morning you shall be filled with bread and you shall know that I am the Lord your God. So it's not just about the meat or the bread, right? The defining aspects of these events are these. First, the Lord wanted them to to come near by faith. Guys, the Lord wants you to be near to him by faith every single day. Second, he's near to them and he hears their cries right? Even when you feel like God's not listening, he hears your cries. Third, he provides He provides in ways they could not even imagine. That's hard for us, right? Because we can't picture it happening. It's impossible, God. You can't save me from this. Our imaginations always tend to work toward the negative side of things, right? That's just who we are. We can easily imagine our lack of resources, pain, suffering. Why do you think this is? Faith and confidence in God changes this pattern in us little by little. Know the word, walk with the Lord, know him, and this will begin to change in you little by little. We take those thoughts captive, right? We, we, we see the promises of Jesus and his word and we push that fear away and we have a moment of victory. Maybe sometimes it's just that one moment and then you struggle, struggle, struggle all day. Then maybe the next day it's you know, two different moments in that day. But it will happen if you put your eyes on Jesus and you walk with him and you know the Lord through his word. And instead of imagining the worst, you begin to imagine how God will come through. you remember what he did for Israel and how he provided for them. And then you begin to wait with anticipation. This is training in faith. It's not easy. It'll never be easy. And building a relationship with God. God wants them to, be, to begin to trust him for these things because bigger battles are coming in the future, right? And you guys know what happened to this, happens to this generation? These, these people that are speaking up, that are saying, you're going to kill our kids? Well, they didn't make it out of the desert. But who made it out of the desert? Their kids. God is like, I can take care of everybody. Stop acting that way and just trust me. And the irony of it all is God took care of their kids and let them take the, you know, take the promised land. They, they, this, God knew that battles were coming where faith would be essential. The Lord brings us from one season of life to the other by his grace. It's from grace today and God's gonna give you grace for tomorrow. All you have to do is just walk with him, right? Continue reading. So it was that quails came up at the evening and covered the camp. And in the morning, the dew lay, of, lay all around the camp. And when the layer of the dew lifted, there, on the surface of the wilderness, was a small, round substance as fine as frost on the ground. So, when the children of Israel saw it, they said to one another, "What is it?" For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, "This is bread which the Lord has given you to eat. This is the thing which the Lord has commanded: Let every man gather in, according to each one's need, one omer for each person, according to the number of the per, of persons. Let every man take for uh, for those who are in his tent." Maybe they weren't accustomed to eating this kind of stuff, right? They didn't know what it was. Okay, this isn't the bread we had in Egypt. And maybe they didn't like quail. However, the Lord provided for their needs, right? They had meat and they had bread. Some may have longed to go back to Egypt. We already know that, right? Eating the things they used to eat. But there wasn't any going back, right? So for the ones that died in the wilderness, they never really had that option. It was just this crazy thought in their head, this accusation against God. <clears throat> what did they have? They had the present moment. They had the Lord and they had the present moment. And it was to create in them confidence for the future he would bring them into. And so he's there with a, as a pillar of cloud. He comes near to his people that they might visually see as he's speaking with Moses and, and as he's going to provide. It's normal to find yourself in the wilderness in difficult seasons of life, and desiring not to wanna to walk through them, right? Anybody here like going through pain? No, right? I don't wanna go through this one more hour. God let us go through a serious and difficult gut-wrenching season for 38 months. And I remember the first opening, the, the, the first week of being in that situation, I felt like I was going to die. And I said, Lord, take this away. He let us go through that for 38 months. We want God to rescue us now. But often these wilderness experiences are prescribed for us by the Lord. We don't want to walk through them. We fight and we go through it kicking and screaming rather than walking until we say, okay, God, not my will, but your will be done. God hears and it is he who provides, right? We have, a, we have very limited perspective. You see that, don't you, in Israel? And you see that in yourself? I hope you can see that. We have limited perspective. And so what the Bible does is it gives us this amplified perspective of God working when they were complaining here and he was going to do something here. When, you know, when he was going to bring them into the land and they, they needed to face this, this enemy and the wall of Jericho comes down in this miraculous way, right? God's just, he knows what's going to happen and he can lead you the right path. I pray that our hearts would know the Lord and learn to understand this. I pray that we would learn to not assume what God is or isn't going to do when it comes to those negative things. I pray that we would learn to wait with faith and anticipation. This is a case study of unbelief and faith and really a case study of human nature. Guys, unbelief, it's a problem for us. God provided meat and bread, and there weren't any supermarkets in the region, right? There wasn't a Publix or whatever else you guys have around here. Nothing. If we walk through these seasons trying to understand how God will work, we'll only frustrate ourselves. Not in their wildest dreams could they even imagine God would, would work this way. Bread on the ground, quail provision that they were wanting and desiring, right? Let's continue reading, verse 17. Then the children of Israel did so and gathered some more, some more, some less. So when they measured it by omers, he who gathered much had nothing left over and he who gathered little had no lack. Every man gathered according to each one's need and Moses said, let no one leave any until morning. This is an important lesson, really quick. Manna is their bread, right? And they were to gather... Daily, what they needed, and they weren't to have any left over in the morning. If the people have idols of security and control, how will that manifest itself in this situation? How would they likely come to feel secure and control? More, right? More. Just let me have a little bit more. Let's continue reading. Notwithstanding, they did not heed Moses, but some of them left part of it until morning, and it bred worms and stink. And Moses was angry with them. So they gathered it every morning, every man according to his need, and when the sun became hot, it melted. So I guess we can kind of relate to them, right? If we were in the wilderness and there was bread and meat, we're likely going to want to just stock some up, right? You're going to want to store some. Maybe they did this, or maybe they just didn't eat it at all. They didn't eat it all but it didn't remain edible. And it was necessary to collect the bread daily. Relying on the Lord to provide every day. This is a good application for the word of God in our lives. It's something that should be cultivated and collected every day, like bread. This fresh manna from heaven, that fresh bread that feeds your spirit. Sometimes we rely on yesterday's manna or last week's manna. But we always need more. You need more. It keeps us going to the Lord, dependent upon him, sustained by him. Let's continue reading. We're going to get to the end of the chapter, hopefully pretty quickly. And so it was in the sixth day that they gathered twice as much bread, two omers for each one. And all the rulers of the congregation came and told Moses. Then he said to them, That is what the Lord has said. Tomorrow is a Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake today and boil what you will boil and lay up for yourselves all that remains to be kept until morning. So they laid it up till morning as Moses commanded and it did not stink nor were there any worms in it. Then Moses said, eat that today for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will be none. The Lord, in his infinite wisdom and kindness, gave his people a day free of work, a day of rest. It was to bless them. It was good and healthy practice, and it's good, a healthy pra- a good and healthy practice for us. What's the temptation? Well, I can't take that day off. I need the extra money. I can't tithe. I can't take a day off because I need this, and I don't have enough. This is something that we do by faith, right? You rest By faith, trusting the Lord. Do we believe him or not? Is he going to take care of us? When the Israelites got into the land, he commanded them to cultivate their fields for how many years? Six years, okay? They were to cultivate their land for six years and on the seventh year, they were not to plant anything on that land or cultivate the field. Do you think that required some faith? Absolutely. Imagine, do you think they struggled with temptation not to cultivate that field? Well, gosh, it just, you know, I could really use that. I got this thing going on. I got this thing going on. And we got an extra kid, another mouth to feed. And man, I just, I need this. Imagine if the current year was like really lean and you had to rely on the Lord to make up for the current uh, year and take care of the following year. That would require faith. God shows his power over the physical world here, right? On the sixth day, there was enough for two days, or they 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 were to gather for two days and it was not gonna spoil. Somehow the Lord kept it from spoiling. His power is over all the earth. Can He not provide for your needs? And I'm talking about every need. Talking about every need. Even to the smallest, most microscopic particle, the Lord was able to control it. Amazing. Another lesson to boost the people's trust and faith in God if they're paying attention. 27 through, uh, through 30. Now it happened that some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, how long do you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, for the Lord has given you a Sabbath, therefore he gives you on the sixth day bread for two days. Let every man remain in his place. Let no man go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. Here's where we're all exposed. Our tendencies that come from an anxious, controlling, and untrusting heart, unbelieving hearts. God told them to sit and rest. How many of you are like that? How m- God tells you, look, just, just sit down. Just stop moving for a minute. And you don't want to do it. It's just so difficult. It's just the, the last thing you want to do. It's not just simply, simply that tendency. It's also the tendency towards unbelief. Nothing was hidden from the Lord, right? They went out that seventh day. Could the Lord see them? Absolutely. They didn't go out covertly. It was all clear for the Lord to see. Isn't it always in us to rebel against God's ways and turn to our own way? He's given them everything and yet they still want more. They want it their way. He's even provided a day of rest and they refuse to take it. That's our tendency. Let's finish up the chapter. And the house of Israel called its name manna and it was like white coriander seed in it and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Sounds good. Then Moses said, this is the thing which the Lord has commanded. Fill an omer with it to keep for uh, your generations that they may see the bread which I fed you in the, in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, take a pot and put an omer of manna in it and lay it before the Lord to, keep, uh, to be kept for your generations. And the Lord commanded Moses, to, uh, so Aaron laid it up, before the testimony to be kept. And the children of Israel ate, ate manna 40 years until, the, until they came to an inhabited land. They ate manna until they came to the border of the land of Canaan. Now an omer is one-tenth of an ephah. Okay. The Lord would have this have his people remember this throughout their history. And you read it. Go see how many times the Lord repeats that. Remember I am the Lord your God that led you out of Egypt. Three things would eventually be placed in the Ark of the Covenant, if you know the tabernacle of the Ark, right? A jar of manna, the tablets of, uh, with the Ten Commandments, and Aaron's rod that budded. The manna is a symbol of God's provision in the wilderness, but also a picture of Jesus Christ, right? I learned this today from Pastor Will. What is, you know, where, was, where was Jesus born? What, what was his name of the city, of the town? Bethlehem. What does that mean? House of bread. Our living Savior, that living, life-giving bread. He was the one who was giving them this, this manna, right? It's a picture of Jesus. The tablets are representative of God's law. Perfect, perfection, which is also a picture for us of Christ. And that staff belonged to Aaron that budded. That's how God showed his people who would be what? Who was Aaron? He was the first high priest. The high priest is a picture of who? It's a picture of Jesus Christ. The gospel is all over this book from beginning to end, shining through. God is saying, I want to repair this relationship. I want you to be with me. Wherever the people went for 40 years, God provided manna. He was faithful every day. Once they entered the promised land, it stopped appearing. So what does this mean for us? What does it mean for you, for me? We need to trust God and we need to be aware that there's unbelief in us. It's a problem. I mean, I know you guys trust Jesus for heaven, but do you trust him today? Romans 8, 31, 32 says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, Who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Hmm, do you believe this? You see what Paul is saying? Do you believe this is, do you believe it to the point of it changing your daily life and how you make decisions? Or are they just pretty words? You know, you leave here and you kind of just go back to, manipulating your situations and your people and your money and all of this in your life? Or do you believe it? You believe that God's gonna take care of you. Is your faith in Jesus just for heaven and big decisions in life? The gospel is the cornerstone and the foundation of our lives. Jesus forgave you. We have a tendency to believe that one easily. He reconciled you with the Father. These are things that the Bible says. He washed us. I can picture that. He justified us. Do you know what that means, believer? Do you know what that means for you? That he deposited his righteousness into your account. God sees you as though you had never committed a sin. That is unbelievably radical. That should change what we're thinking when we go to sleep and when we wake up and all throughout our day. If you don't know what that means for you, ask the Lord to show you, please Study this one. Another thing that he's done for us is he's adopted us. Galatians 4, 4 through 5 says, but when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. This is one of the greatest truths for the believer and one of the most difficult for me to really not just believe, but to, to, to receive it in my heart. We've been adopted by our heavenly father because of what Jesus Christ did. But so often we think and we live like orphans. Think about that one, think about that one. I have to take care of me because God's not gonna take care of me. I mean, I believe Jesus for heaven, but over here, I gotta manipulate the situation. I gotta kind of do this thing. I have to hide my money from the IRS. this this one job. I have to lie in order to protect my reputation. I have to look at porn to be satisfied. And yet your father in heaven is willing to give you everything, you know, to, to know him, to wait upon him. Do you, do you believe that you've been adopted or are you always thinking and living like an orphan and just kind of, believe in this Jesus stuff on Sunday or a couple days a week. We either don't know what it means to be justified and adopted, or we just don't believe it. Search it out, believer. Faith leads us back to God's word and to Jesus, waiting upon him, it's never easy. The wilderness is never easy, waiting upon the Lord is never easy because we like control, we like to see it now, and we don't like to wait, we don't, faith is difficult. When times are difficult in marriage, right? Are you willing to live as an adopted son or daughter and trust your father when it's hard? When that person's hurt you, when you've been hurt and it's hard to forgive, can you believe that the father that has adopted you will sustain you today and tomorrow? and be with you and give you what you need moment by moment. This plague of unbelief can touch every part of our lives. You've been adopted. You need to live in it, believer. You need to believe it. You need to know that you've been justified by your faith in Jesus Christ. This unbelief can touch every part of our lives and it can cause us to do all kinds of stupid things. And it creates all kinds of sinful patterns in our lives. We think and live like orphans because we don't believe the Lord will take care of us. It's easy to continue thinking and living like orphans because we're addicted to what we can see. I like control. How many of you control freaks in here? I just just, just feel good. It's just, you know, I got to be knowing. I have to know what everybody's doing and I have to just kind of feel like, you know, they're marching to my drum. They wanted to go back. For what? For meat and bread. I'm almost done. Even though they were slaves, they refused to trust God. They could not walk by faith. And faith is exactly what they needed. That they might fly on eagles' wings. Romans 10, 17. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. If we're disconnected from God's word, we might lack faith, the faith necessary for everyday life to live like an orphan or to live like, a, like a, uh, an adopted son, daughter. You need faith to make good and healthy decisions because it's a daily thing that you're going to trust God, right? You get that? It's not just for heaven. It's for today, for your marriage, for how you invest in your kids, how you, run, how you handle your money. Obedience is a faith issue. You need faith to make good and healthy decisions because the addiction to the flesh is so strong. We like control. We like to feel safe and secure. And the Lord has called us to trust in him who we cannot see. You get that? It's like this paradoxical situation. Everything we do, we rely on what we can see. And the Lord says, I know you can't see me, but I want you to trust me. That's crazy, right? But that's what we're called to do. Jesus is the fountain of water that we are always to draw from. To find our identity. To find purpose. To find what we need. Finally, the last verse, and I'm done. Galatians 2.20-21. 20 I have been crucified with Christ. Listen to what Paul is saying. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. You guys have heard this, right? But Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh... So this daily life that I'm living here in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. Paul was free from the law because of his faith in Jesus. He trusted Jesus every day. It wasn't just about heaven. It was about trusting him every day because he couldn't fulfill the law, right? He couldn't live like a son and adopted son on his own. It was trust in Jesus. It was the Holy Spirit revealing things to him and saying, oh my goodness, I'm a mess. Lord, help me. Okay, let's take another step, another step. We draw closer and we continue to, to just feast on Jesus Christ. So I hope that I com- communicated what, 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 what this chapter was showing us about Israel and really about ourselves. And I hope that it touched your heart to, to begin to or to continue to walk in this path of being a disciple and to continue to discover Jesus. This is just the beginning. There's more of Jesus to discover. The Holy Spirit can reveal more to your heart. And so continue on the journey together. Be a disciple and um, don't live like an orphan and consider what it means for you. Do you have unbelief in your heart? Where is that manifesting itself? What is it causing you to do? to not live like an an adopted son, to have that orphan mentality and the patterns of life always coming from you. Israel's a crazy example for us, but the Lord is always faithful and present. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this day, Lord, and I just pray that whatever was said, Lord, that you would just let your people chew the meat and spit out any bones. And I thank you for the opportunity to be with my redemption church family God and i just pray you'd bless this night i pray you'd bless the 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 dinner and the, the the fundraiser for the 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 mexico mission trip god and and just this time we have as family god bless uh daniel and 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 the leadership and his family and 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 everybody here god i pray for blessing upon blessing upon them i pray for the individuals for the families for the for the husbands and the wives for the kids i pray for everybody lord would you just lead them and guide them give them so much grace and let them just experience more of you, Jesus, and continue to just work in their lives for, for their good and for your glory, because the time is short. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. This is Pastor Daniel Williams at Redemption Church in Delray Beach. Thank you so much for listening to that message. We pray it was an encouragement. It was a blessing to you as we love to pursue and to proclaim Jesus together. And so no matter where you're listening, whether it be YouTube or our podcast, you can go to more resources at redemptiondb.com and even partner with us in ministry to pursue and to proclaim Jesus. God bless you, and thank you so much for listening.